This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 121. Oh, that was a bad choice. Of the in-between podcast where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. You listening to this podcast was not a bad no, choice. No, that's a very no. good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yes, because we are doing a deep dive into decision making and discernment in light of the Enneagram. Right. We are welcoming Drew Mosier back into our podcast. Uh, He was previously on our podcast on episode 51 with the perfect gift for every Enneagram type. It's one of our most downloaded episodes. So if you're wondering, hey, what should I get for my loved one? Or how can I hint that I want this? (laughs) You can point them to that episode. But on this episode, Drew is going to help us really understand how we can use the Enneagram to make wise decisions. Because honestly, in the world today, with so many changes happening to us and feeling maybe out of control, we can just sort of throw our decisions out the window and go through autopilot, right? Yeah, 100%. We know you're going to love this episode. Drew Mosier is a certified Enneagram teacher, the co-host of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, and a professional member of the International Enneagram Association. He travels the country teaching the Enneagram and is the author and editor of four books. He's a professor and dean also at Taylor University and resides in Upland, Indiana with his wife and five children. And make sure to listen right through to the end because the very last question we ask, honestly, Christina, I don't know if I've heard a better answer than Drew's. I agree with that. Well, Drew, welcome back to the podcast. We're so glad to have you back. Oh, it's so good to be back. Thank you again for the invitation, and it's great to be with you. Well, this time we are coming with a new book, which is titled The Enneagram of Discernment, The Way of Vocation, Wisdom, and Practice. Uh, so our first question, really, we want to know, what does discernment mean? Oh, that that is the question, right? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> the question of the hour. <laughs> and I can honestly say, having written a, a lengthy book on the title, you know, I'm still figuring it out, and I think that's the nature of discernment. Mm. But um you know, getting at kind of the essence of it, I think it's living with wisdom. Hmm. That when we discern, we kind of apply wisdom in our lives. Now, to take it another step further, I think the way in which we best live with wisdom is to uh, live with what I call applied identity. And, and what I mean by that is when we are living out of a full and authentic sense of self, mm-hmm. um, of who we are kind of made to be and created to be. Uh, if we wanted to take it a little bit more specific, because that still may leave some of your listeners wanting, uh, I think discernment, as I define it in the book, is a gift and a practice. So it's a gift, I think, that we receive, but it's also a practice that we cultivate. And it's a gift, a practice of living our lives, I think, from a deep sense of vocation uh, or a sense of calling, if you will, mm. And doing so with wisdom in what I call uh, the fullness of time, which I'm sure will get into Mm -hmm. and talk about a little bit more. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, give us um, 
you know, because I think a lot, of, a lot of times when we think of the word discernment, we think just making decisions, right? right. And it's just like, yeah. okay, well, do I need discernment? And then, and then you kind of look at the categories of decisions people make, right? Should I park here? Should I park there? Should <laughs> I go should to I this eat? grocery store? Uh, should I vote for this candidate or that candidate? And then it yeah. kind of ranges. Uh, should I send my kids to school or not? And um, yeah, give us give us a little bit more uh, insight into just that connection uh, between sure. the Enneagram and really just fleshing out that discernment piece. Yeah, you know, so I, I think our lives and each of our days are just chock full of decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And and these decisions range from the really simple and mundane to the really profound and complex. Mm. And I think discernment is required in all of them, but I think uh, there's a greater need for discernment uh, in those more kind of complex and profound decisions. Mm. Um, I think w- what's important to know is that the way in which we navigate our decisions really matters, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. we probably can think about, you know, even in uh, one's own family unit, the way in which one person of a family approaches a decision could be vastly different than another member of the family approaching the very same decision, right? And so I think this is where personality becomes a really important factor for us to consider. That the way in which we go about making decisions often comes from a place of of kind of long-held kind of patterns mm. and character structures mm-hmm. that we would call our personality. And in so doing, it helps us in some really important ways, but it also hinders us. And so I think that's where the Enneagram can be really helpful in this realm of discernment and decision-making is by raising our awareness of how our personality does help and hinder us when we uh, try to make a good and wise decision. Ah, okay. So I see the Enneagram connection there. Yeah. Uh, But maybe you can unpack it a little bit more for us, especially since the last time you were on our podcast, you're talking about the perfect gift for every Enneagram type. So I guess there's a little bit of discernment in that, right? That was fun. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But for those of our podcast family that listen to the Enneagram or maybe know a little bit more or just reading all the memes on Instagram, how do we (laughs) take that uh, at personality typing system? System and really apply it to uh, discernment. Yeah, so I think it starts with kind of a, a general approach, and then you can get really kind of specific mm. and drill down by type, oh, which okay. um, you know we can get into too. But I think very generally, understanding that our personality is something to be aware of and to observe and reflect upon, mm-hmm. you know, and and because this personality, which is the, these sets of like habits and patterns and of character structures we've developed over the course of our lives. You know, many say early in childhood, we've started to develop this personality that has served us in some really helpful, but also some unhelpful ways in order to, uh, you know, really survive and thrive in our world. Mm -hmm. And, And by knowing more about ourselves, then we can be a little bit more aware of how we go about making decisions. And when with that awareness, at least comes just a slight pause, you know, mm-hmm. in how we approach and engage a decision so that we're not always making the same decision in the same way and getting the same results. Mm. Um, and uh, so I'd say generally that's where we start. Right? Now, if we know kind of our dominant personality type, then we can better understand, OK, here's how I tend to in kind of my default you know, settings of personality approach a decision. Mm. And here's how that can be helpful, and here's how that can be harmful. 
And then um, once we do that, uh, we can start to learn that our type tends to resort to the same kind of limited set of questions to explore when making a decision. And these, these are different questions for each type that we tend to focus on, but they are more limited. Now, they could be very good and important questions, but often they leave other things kind of on the table that could be really important and helpful for us to know as we you know, navigate any important decision, such as you know, where are we going to live or career mm-hmm. change or these sorts of things. And so uh, with that awareness then can come uh, these kind of growth areas where we can start to lean into other good and really important questions, uh, which I say is really where the realm of kind of wisdom cultivation lies, Yeah, where we can really begin to just um, uh, approach, you know, the proverbial fork in the road, whatever it is, uh, with a lot more clarity and vision and wisdom. Hmm. That's good. Drew, toward the second half of your book, you pose the same nine questions to each type. Can you unpack these questions for us? Yeah. Um, and it might be a bit too on the nose, but you know, the Enneagram itself is made up of nine kind of type, <laughs> nine different personality <laughs> yeah, types. Yeah. And then I came up with nine questions um, that I, that I call, so I'm just calling it out that, you know, it, it, um, it probably is too on the nose, but I think it's really helpful um, that, I think each type needs to ask this set of questions and it's not a perfect formula. So by asking these nine questions and just progressing through, you're not going to magically arrive at the destination of perfect wisdom and discernment. Oh, wouldn't that be great though? (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing, right? If so, I, you know, I make a lot more money (laughs) on this this book. But what I do think can happen is by going through these nine questions, each type is forced to confront some questions that they otherwise may not in a really helpful way. And so what I do is I break these nine questions, what I call the way of discernment, into three groups of three. And I start with uh, what I call the vocation triad, So, which really are these three key questions of calling. The first being, who am I? Mm. This is the question of identity. Mm. I think this is where we start, right? Second, why am I here? This is a question of purpose. And then third, where am I going? Mm. This is a question of direction. So when we're faced with really important or complex decisions, I think if we start with these three questions, I think that gives us a good kind of foundation upon which to build a good decision. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to perfectly know who we are and and our purpose in life and our direction, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Mm. But I think by reminding ourselves of these really kind of key elements of who we are and and that make up our sense of calling, I think that's a good place to start. And then in that second triad, I call it the wisdom triad. And the three key questions in the wisdom triad are tied to what are kind of traditionally known as the three intelligence centers of the Enneagram, Mm. which are our heads, our hearts, and our guts. Mm. So the Enneagram is really built off of these kind of three intelligence centers and how they work together, or maybe sometimes don't work together very (laughs) well. Mm. Right. And uh, so the three questions there that are really important is first, what am I doing? Mm. So this is where we can kind of look at what are our bodies actually doing or what are what kind of activity are we engaged in in our current kind of environment mm-hmm. that can be really helpful 
intelligence for us when making a decision. Second, what am I feeling? This is where we really check our hearts and kind of our emotional states because they can be helpful to us um, in decision making. And then third, what am I thinking? You know, what are the thought patterns or uh, what are the things that kind of are dominating my headspace as I weigh um, perhaps this important decision? Hmm. So that's the second triad. And then the third triad I call the practice triad. And this is where I get into how we tend to engage this idea of time, past, present, and future. And so I have three questions that I encourage readers to consider um, in order to tend to live in what I you know, called before and will say again is the fullness of time. Uh, first, looking to the past, what am I remembering as I engage this decision? Mm-hmm. So I think that the past can be a powerful teacher. Uh, second, what am I experiencing? So what, what am I experiencing in this present moment as I navigate this decision? Whether it be anxiety or excitement or fear, you know, whatever it could be. And then third, what am I anticipating? So what am I anticipating will happen in the future as I engage in this decision? So, I, so when we think of those three things together, I think we can bring the fullness of time to bear in this uh, in, in this decision that's before us, whatever that might be, which can be really helpful. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Hmm. Hmm, I love that. I love that. Now, I recognize that for our listeners, we've done multiple episodes on the Enneagram here and there. And and so uh, among all of our listeners, there's a vast range of individuals who are like, oh, Drew, I totally get what you're talking about. And others <laughs> yeah, who are yeah. like, what? Uh, so <laughs> my sure, guts sure. have to do with this. Yeah. So once again, yeah. show notes, um, we'll link... Uh, uh, we'll link to Drew's book here, and we'll also link to other episodes where we've dug into each of the types. So uh, especially if you feel like you're more on the beginner side of this, uh, that you can go. And then once you read and, and listen and then come back to it, you'll be like, oh, I get it. I get it. Um, but for yeah. the, the impatient ones <laughs> who are like, no, but I'm listening to this. I've already committed to this. I don't want to <laughs> let this go. Can we? Um, so, so Christina and I are three, are threes, and, and you're yeah. three as well, right? Yes, it's yep. a big three party. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're achievers. Can you? So, can you for our listeners, um, just walk through how you would help a three walk oh, through sure. these triads and make a decision? Yeah, like okay. like you're, you you can be our counselors here. So. <laughs> 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 okay, so very briefly, and you know, this is uh, as always. You know, I'm not saying that I do this. Uh, any anywhere close to perfect, but uh, this is how I now try to engage um, an important decision that's before me. Okay. So first, if we look at this vocation triad, this who am I? This is a really important question for the three to consider because threes are so good at adapting and shape shifting to whatever environment 
um, they're in in order to be successful or impressive. So asking that question honestly is a real kind of motivation check for the three mm. to say, okay, is it, is my engagement in, you know, my current environment, uh, is it congruent with my authentic sense of self? Mm. You know, is this truly me? And that's a, that can be a, a tough question for a three to consider. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know what, Drew? Honestly, I I just want to say I love I absolutely love the fact that you start with that question, right? Yeah. And even in your introduction, you say, you know, this is who I am because for for I mean, even my latest book, you are what you do, and six yes. other lies about work, life, and love. It's not until I was like midway through that I was beginning to learn about the Enneagram, and I was like. No wonder the title of the book and the first lies you are what you do. That's the one I believe the most. I'm a three. Right. <laughs> yeah. Very you know, and this is, and I know we've talked about this before, but this is especially true for the three that we mm. have to remind ourselves that we are human beings, yeah. you know, mm. not human doings. Yes. And that's really hard for the three. Mm-hmm. You know, what's much easier for the three to consider is the why am I here, this purpose. Um, uh, yeah. Now, we can often challenge, okay, is that an appropriate purpose or that sort of thing? But uh, you know, threes tend to have no trouble uh, talking about their why, you know, and why they're engaged in something or or what what is kind of the driving force behind what they're doing. That's true. And then uh, they also tend to have a very clear sense of direction of where am I going? Um, yep. Now, that, <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, you know, they, they have, and we'll get into the kind of the time perspective of the three, but it's because they are so future focused, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they've already plotted, you know, steps ahead that they want to get to. Um, Now, when we get into the wisdom triad, um, threes have no trouble talking about what they are doing, right? Mm Because they have, they have a a to-do list, even if it's, you know, in their own heads, Mm -hmm. often it's on paper, but not always. And they're doing something in order to get to the next thing in order to get to the next thing. So that tends not to be um, too much of a challenge for them, but it is something to check is the thing that I'm doing, you know, the thing that I should be doing, now, mm-hmm. right? The hardest question for the three is, "What am I feeling?" Uh, now <laughs> we're this all is like, because, uh-huh. "Yep, <laughs> uh-huh, yeah." And you know, for some common sense reasons, and then there's also some reasons that make sense when you know the enneagram. Uh, the common sense reasons are is that feelings are a drag. They're a drag on our productivity. They're a drag on our efficiency, and uh, they tend to kind of get they mess up our goals and ambitions. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But if we don't consider, you know, our emotional world, then we tend to fall into some really unhealthy patterns of saying yes to things that we shouldn't, Mm. of not learning from failure because we don't want to confront, you know, the the difficult emotions that come with failure. Mm -hmm. And perhaps uh, maybe using relationships uh, for our own gain and ambition. Mm. And if we don't account for emotional intelligence and our own kind of feelings and broaden our range from, you know, just very simple, I feel hungry, I feel angry, I feel sad, I feel happy, I feel excited. You know, if we can broaden that list Mm -hmm. and be able to name those emotions, that can be really helpful to us. Um, And then, you know, what am I thinking is often much easier for a three to consider because they, they have plans, you know, they're working on something, they're scheming, they're strategizing. Um, 
you're thinking of efficient ways to get something done mm-hmm. that can be somewhat easier than the, what am I feeling? Yeah. Yeah. But, but then if we get into the time perspectives, this is also really interesting for the three. Um, cause I, in the book, I talk about how each type tends to have a preferred, uh, perspective on time supported by a second perspective at often at the expense or the neglect of a third perspective on time. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so for the three, they're very future focused. We are a very future focused lot, right? It's very easy for us to be doing something. And I would say some, even by outward appearances very effectively while also devoting some kind of headspace to what's next on our agenda. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it, and and so we are present, so supported by this present perspective on time, uh, enough to be able to get to the next thing on the list, right? So we can stay present just long enough to be able to get get to the next thing. <laughs> what we tend to really struggle with as dominant type threes is the past. Yeah. We tend to really take time to slow down and learn from our mistakes. And I would also add, truly celebrate and savor our victories. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we often rob ourselves of so much joyous threes because uh, we accomplish something and instead of sitting with it and celebrating it, we often are so quick to move on to what's next. Yeah, it's true. And what we do, we, when we do that, we do that at the expense of some really profound wisdom that can come from our past experiences, right? Mm-hmm. True. Um, and, and we've kind of bought into this lie that the past is history. So therefore why focus on it moving on ever, ever onward, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, it's kind of our mantra mm-hmm. and motto. And, um, and so you can see even just, and we could do this for all nine types. In fact, I do it in the book. We probably don't have time here that each type tends to struggle with a different set of questions mm-hmm. within these, within these nine, but by focusing on all nine we make sure that we play to our strengths as our type, right? Mm-hmm. But also take the time to really shore up some areas that we tend to overlook, which I think the most important decisions um, demand that we take the time necessary to really think through and um, engage these decisions well. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books available wherever books are sold. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And as you're unpacking, as we're all threes and you're unpacking sort of our strengths and our things that we can improve, let's say it that way, (laughs) or ways that we can, like, maybe those are the questions that we really need to ask ourselves um, and focus on, like, for example, who am I? And then there's another part of me, Drew, that honestly, in different parts and different scenarios in my life, I could have picked up your book and been stuck on who am I? Like, completely, like, and that's it. I couldn't go any further because I couldn't even answer that question. So in those instances, I can really see how inviting other people into 
into you, the process of discernment can can really help. And I also see how your book can almost give other people the opportunity to like, oh, I'm going to meet with Christina. She's a three, but I'm a four. So we really look at life differently. But maybe I can just learn more about her and the way she makes decisions. So I know what questions to help her through. Right, right. Yeah. And I also I talk in the book elsewhere that discernment uh, is both kind of a an act of solitude, that there's a lot of discernment work that is done in our own kind of solitary work and solitary moments, mm-hmm. but it's also a communal act that we do need to surround ourselves with people who we trust, you know, and who can steward our own hopes and fears well and with care because they can speak, you know, wisdom into our, you know, various conundra and, you know, decisions and, uh, opportunities, you know, these are the people that we need to be able to rely upon and look to for help and guidance um, as we discern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, in, in your book, you say to discern deeply, we must have a full perspective of time. And yeah. I know you've uh, touched on this here and there uh, throughout the interview, but let's double click here and, and kind of zoom in on what the full perspective of time is and why it's so important to engage in while making decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as I was writing this, I was struck by, um, you know, a Western notion of time is, is very, I, I would say, simple or reductionistic. Mm. You know, it's what we can measure in seconds and minutes and hours and days. Right. And it's, um, which is probably why, uh, culturally not, um, most of Western culture tends to have a very finite view of time like Mm. that. We're always, we always don't have enough time. Mm -hmm. And, um, yet, you know, in the new Testament of the Bible, the ancient Greeks had this, uh, these two different kind of words for time. The first is chronos, which is what I just described, right? This chronological, which is where we get the word, chronological, uh, measurable time. Mm-hmm. So we can think of that chronos time as minutes. But then it, uh, it, the New Testament also has this other uh, concept for time called kairos, which really uh, is not so much measurable in any quantifiable way, but it's more about the quality of the moment Mm -hmm. and its opportunity and its ripeness for something new or something different or, uh, you know, an important kind of hinge or turning of a corner. And, uh, and this is known in, in, as it's translated in English as the fullness of time. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what I do in the book is I I say, we might want to make ourselves, we can't just manufacture Kairos time, but I do think we can cultivate uh, more opportunities and uh, to actually live in Kairos time uh, maybe more effectively yeah. or mm-hmm. um, so that we don't overlook it when it when it does kind of make itself available to us. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot a, a big component of that, certainly not the only one, is by making sure that we tend to the past, be fully present um, in the moment, mm-hmm. here and now. And also look ahead with wisdom. And this is where I get into those questions of what am I remembering? What am I experiencing? And what am I anticipating? And so what I do is for each type, um, which tends to struggle with one of those perspectives, I offer a set of practices 
for which perspective of time they tend to struggle with the most. So for those of us who are threes, right? We, if we tend to struggle with the past, then uh, I recommend that we start practicing sacred delay. So different kind of practices and tools and strategies that help us stop and reflect before just mindlessly going on to the next thing mm-hmm. on our calendars. Uh, for a different set of types, the ones and the twos and the sixes, I recommend um, they really struggle with the future and looking ahead because they're kind of so uh, bound up by the tyranny of the urgent. Right. I really recommend that they cultivate sacred vision where they take intentional time to actually look ahead, which actually which feels indulgent to them mm-hmm. to most of, most of the time. And then for a different uh, group of uh, types, the fours, the fives, and the nines, I recommend um, that that they really cultivate what I call sacred presence because they really struggle to either be stuck in the past or longing for a future. And, and, and what often gets lost is being fully present in the here and now. Hmm. And so I think if we, call, if we kind of develop our own kind of sets of practices and postures to shore up that uh, perspective on time that we tend to overlook, I think we can live more in the fullness of time. And when we do, I think we live with more discernment. Yeah, I would agree with that for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, just even understanding as threes that we're more future oriented has really helped. I know for Daniel and I, as we're making some of these bigger decisions or life come kind of comes at us that it's so easy just to plow ahead or just think about, uh, yeah. oh, you know, what are we going to do in a year or two? But it's more of like escapism <laughs> versus actually like, oh, no, we need to be in the here and now right. to be able to to mourn what we've lost or to be able to really think about and feel what is going on now or maybe even in the past. And I even see it in our kids. I really do. As we are learning more about the Enneagram and just seeing uh, the way that they react to situations, you know, their head, heart, gut, or even their orientation to time has been really, really interesting. And I know, I know, I know people are like, well, you shouldn't type your kids and all of that, (laughs) right? We're, you know, we've heard a lot about that. But I also see really, Drew, how... um, that this could be really useful. The Enneagram of discernment could really help our kids make wiser choices. Now, do you sort of camp on the side like, nope, you can't do that. That's, you know, their kids. I mean, our kids are under 11. So are are they too young to learn about this? Or is this something that we can really teach and cultivate in them to make wiser choices as they grow up? Yeah. No, it's an important question. And there are hot takes galore. You know, on <laughs> right. This. Everyone has an opinion, I think. <laughs> yeah, everyone has an opinion. And and so here's where I would fall. And I hope it's it's more of a moderate position, I think. Um, I, I don't think it's healthy to type children mm-hmm. uh, in with in such a discreet manner to say, well, my uh, 10-year-old daughter's an eight, my five-year-old son is a seven, you know, and, and so on. I think uh, because I'm not sure that they are ready to truly handle that information hmm. with the nuance and the wisdom that that requires. Hmm. Uh, I think that would only guarantee that they would um, maybe reduce that personality to just simple traits. Hmm. that are really more stereotypes, which I think would then uh, cultivate a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, in children that could be unhelpful. However, however, um, 
if you uh, talk about the Enneagram enough, you know, with friends or you know, with your spouse, they're going to pick up on these things. So I don't think it needs to be this forbidden conversation among your kids because mm-hmm. they're going to ask, well, what do you think I am? Right. Yep. Um, and I think it's okay to say, well, here's some things that, you know, I've observed in you, um, which could be this type, but it also could be this other type. And, you know, it's not something it, we have to really worry about. And I just say, because you don't really figure it out until you're in your twenties at the earliest anyway. So don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, um, a lot of the, the wisdom that the Enneagram can provide can be really helpful in engaging our children, such as, you know, we, we all know some kids who are just, um, act first and then think through it later, right? <laughs> yep. They're just a little bit more in instinctual kind of in their being. And it may be helpful to ask, uh, you know, because sometimes uh, that can serve them well, and other times it can get them into some uh, big trouble, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and it can be helpful to say, "Hey, let's let's think through, <laughs> you know, some some of these actions and behaviors." Mm-hmm. Um, we also uh, know some who d- tend to feel first, who wear their heart on their sleeves, and that can serve them really well. But it also can um, just really bind them up and cause them to be unable to do anything until they work through their emotions. And and that can be helpful for us as parents to kind of work through, okay, you don't have to have all of your emotions figured out maybe before we, you know, go to school, <laughs> but, um, you know, th- those are some things. And then the, the time perspectives as well. So there are aspects of the Enneagram that we can use with our kids that without having to assign a type to them, which will f- really feel like a, more of like a Harry Potter sorting hat ordeal <laughs> to them than a helpful framework for understanding their internal motivations that, you know, help out of which emerge uh, these thoughts and behaviors, right? That mm-hmm. That's tough for a kid to really come to terms with their grasp. But I think it can really, really helpful and um, maybe challenging some of the ways in which they tend to go about, you know, their daily lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, Drew, this has just been so incredibly helpful, and uh, I know it's been helpful for me. I mean, I felt like when we were talking about the threes, you were like reading our mail. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's there's so much profound wisdom in the Enneagram, uh, and I'm so we're so grateful, and we'll just speak on behalf of all of our listeners too for the depth of work and study that you've done that you have been doing uh, with the Enneagram over. I mean, how long has it been since you've started studying it? Uh, well, and, you know, I, I first encountered it back in, you know, 2008. Yeah. And, but really started um, a deep kind of in-depth exploration of it five years ago. Yeah. So this has been five years in the making getting to this book. Yeah. Uh, where and, it is today. Yeah. And, and it's incredible that uh, as a follower of Christ, you are digging into this and just helping us understand discernment in and through this yeah. all. So um, just as we wrap up, I know, especially for our listeners who are like, Enneagram, I know you guys have talked about the Enneagram before. And and they're like, okay, so they Google Enneagram and they see yeah. all the different, all <laughs> the different articles <laughs> and oh everything that comes yep. up. Um, so just as we close out, I would just love to hear for you, Drew, uh, as a follower of Christ, um, what is it about the Enneagram? Like, what what advice would you give Christians who are beginning their journey into 
understanding the Enneagram and understanding themselves and they see everything and all the articles yeah. and all that that's out there. Right. Yeah. Well, my first recommendation would be to not Google. What, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you will find some weird and scary stuff. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but here's what I tend to say, um, you know, and working on a Christian college campus, it's, it's common to get uh, calls or interactions with parents of my students who are like, hey, my students really, and my, my child's really into this Enneagram thing. What is it? Is yes, it yeah. good? And mm-hmm. what I tend to say is the Enneagram is not distinctly Christian. So I, I think that's important that because you'll find it if you do a Google search, you'll see that the Enneagram is used in all sorts of faith traditions, uh, in you know psychological contexts, um, and in all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not distinctly Christian, but I would argue that it's not anti-Christian mm. if it's used faithfully mm-hmm. within the confines of your faith. And so I consider it to be a tool or a resource, like many that we use. That is, uh, so it's really more about the faithful stewardship of it than it is whether or not it's good or bad or Hmm. evil. Hmm. Um, and when we look at it through the lens and encounter it through the lens of our Christian faith, I think we can see, uh, that it really does help us, uh, chart uh, somewhat of a pilgrimage back to God through our nine types. And that's why I I talk about, you know, that, that the Enneagram is a framework of nine kind of pilgrimage is a personhood. And what Mm. I mean by that is a pilgrimage is a spiritual journey with a destination in mind. And and so I would argue that it's a destination of rooting our identities in Christ, as opposed to relying so heavily upon our own egos Mm -hmm. and upon, um, or or just our pure personality. And instead, um, uh, rooting our identities in Christ as beloved, you know, beings in Christ, which is, I think, the point. So, mm. so that's why I think it's really helpful because I, I do think it holds that potential if used well. Hmm. Wow, that was, I mean, that response <laughs> was so full of wisdom. Yeah, thought you got yes. that question oh, before. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've, I've had that question before, that just a few times. Is <laughs> so, so good, Drew. Thank you so much for returning on uh, to our podcast. We we so appreciate you for our listeners, our podcast family who want to dig into um, um, your book. It's the Enneagram of Discernment, the way of vocation, wisdom, and practice. Uh, I know it's on Amazon. Uh, is there anywhere else that you want to just direct our podcast family to if they want to dig a little bit deeper? And sure, with you? sure, yeah. Yeah, you can get it uh, on Amazon. Uh, also, Kindle version uh, is available there. Uh, if you want to go directly from the pr- publisher and kind of bypass Amazon, you can go to fallscitypress.com. And I uh, and my publisher also cooked up a little discount for your listeners if they want to go that route. If they use the code podcast, mm. uh, they'll get 15% off Ooh, directly great. from the publisher. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Drew. Oh, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. So as a follow-up to this episode, we want to encourage you to head on over to inbetween.org slash episode 121 for our show notes. In those show notes, you're going to find a link to the previous episode, which... 
uh, if uh, you know Black Friday's coming up mm-hmm. and Christmas is coming up, so you're probably like, oh, what do I buy people? Well, we have a great episode, episode 51, which is the perfect gift for every Enneagram type. We're going to link to Drew's book with the coupon code so that you can get a discounted price and also really just put a catalog of all the resources and past episodes where we've addressed the Enneagram so you can do a little bit of a learning journey through this. Yeah, you don't have to search on Google. Yeah, yeah, no, don't <laughs> we'll do that. We'll give you the appropriate sites <laughs> to curated. go to. That's you know, we're curators. Oh, curate. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. I like so. that. <laughs> all right. Well, next week, Christina, what are we going to be covering? We're going to curate for you. <laughs> <laughs> Resources that can help us live a life of scream-free parenting. Not screen-free. Scream-free parenting. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.